Howdy, wellness warriors. Autism spectrum disorder, ADHD, Lyme, PANS, PANDAS. If any of these mean anything to you, you absolutely want to listen to this interview with Sarah Valentini, who is a homeopath out of Australia. She works with Angelica Lemke, who assesses clients based on intuitive homeopathy. The number you need to remember is 80%. While naturopaths and other therapies can provide small successes here and there in these conditions, homeopathy can truly change a family's life. Sarah reports an 80% success rate in her cases. She also discusses how they practice homeopathy, why it's important for the parents to be involved, and gives us some amazing success stories using some pretty interesting remedies. The book Healing Complex Children with Homeopathy has just been released, and the goal of the book is to help parents help their children. So after listening to this podcast, I'm sure anyone in this situation will run out and pick up a copy. I just received a copy that I ordered for myself, and in reading through it, even my children who aren't diagnosed to be quote-unquote complex, the descriptions of some of the tendencies are there, and I already feel optimistic that these are issues that, one, are not unique to my children, and two, can be healed through homeopathy. This episode is a bit longer, so do check the show notes for the timestamps of different topics. Be sure to visit ilovehealthandhomeopathy.com for full transcripts and remedy links. Also, follow I Love Health and Homeopathy on YouTube for easy sharing of story snippets with friends and family. Now, on to the show. Welcome to the Health and Homeopathy podcast, where we share stories about seeking health using homeopathic remedies and other holistic tools. I'm your host, Angela Block. Welcome, Sarah. Thank you so much for agreeing to be interviewed. And just to start out, tell us a little bit about yourself and how you discovered homeopathy. Hi, Angela. Thanks so much for inviting me. So I'm a practicing homeopath. I've been practicing in private practice for 12 years. I got started on homeopathy when I was living in Amsterdam in my mid-20s, and I was getting frequent sinus infections. And I one day I got, I, you know, I got really sick and my, my boyfriend at the time went down to the pharmacy and, and in Amsterdam, all the pharmacies have homeopathy, but I just hadn't used it before. And he came home with all these little white pills in this kind of package and I had to take half a vial of each at different times. And anyway, I, I'd always been so susceptible, like it, pharmaceuticals just never really gelled with me and I always had really like I might get better, but I always felt all the side effects. So I'm quite sensitive. Anyway, I took these little white pills and I just got better, like quickly with no, none of the hangover feeling of, of a pharmaceutical, you know, like what, you know, something that might clear the sinuses. And I mean, I had some gut issues back then too. And, and so I didn't, wouldn't go near antibiotics. So I was just blown away. Like it was like, wow. I just, what is this? And then I kind of put that aside and eventually I'm, because I'm in Australia, so I traveled back to Australia and it wasn't until I had my first son and he was having some issues with sleep and nappy rash and I was actually having postpartum thyroiditis. So where the thyroid goes from uh, hypo to hyper to hypo and eventually 
evens out, but I was in a hyper thyroid stage and I went to, I actually was in doing sleep school with my son because of his horrible sleeping. And somebody said, I went to this sleep school actually. And I remember they were doing just the control crying method. And I was like, oh no, I want to do something else. And they were like, well, that's all we do. So I sat in this sleep school for three days, virtually doing what I would have done at home. Anyway, one of the other ladies there that I got to know said, oh, you should go and see a homeopath. I know a homeopath. I was like, oh, there's that word again. And so I did. And so my thyroid evened out and my son, I just remember he had, he was getting crazy nappy rash and the homeopath prescribed probably, I don't even know what, but I'm thinking it was medorinum. I mean, he would blister, like he would blister within minutes and so, and be screaming. And I gave him the remedy and virtually within half an hour, it's like his skin went from blistered to completely healed. Like it was like one of those (laughs) happened. (laughs) Oh my God. Like it was just, you know, it's like magic. Sometimes I feel like homeopathy can be like magic because it, it does do things so much quicker and so much more gently than other modalities that I know of. Anyway, so my interest was peaked for sure. And then I, and then I actually had a career change at that time. I was ending um, the career that I was doing and I, a friend said, oh, you should have a look at studying naturopathy. And um, I was looking at the college to study naturopathy. And then I was like, oh, there's homeopathy. Actually, I might do that as like a, you know, hobby side interest. And as soon as I started the course, I was just like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. And I just couldn't stop. So it was a six year course and I just kept going. And, and I, th- I mean, you know, with homeopathy, you actually never stop learning. So I'm still going. And that, I guess I started this journey with study 18 years ago and, and still just absolutely loving it. So that's how I, and that's how I started. And the love affair continues, I would say. Cool. Well, can you talk a little bit about that, about your case taking and then your prescribing process? Yeah, sure. So, so as I mentioned, I see a lot of complex neurodevelopmental cases. And so the case taking, I mean, I'm a classically trained homeopath, so I work like that, but I'm also an intuitive homeopath. And so moving into the space of really feeling, so noticing, taking a case in the very, you know, traditional classical way quite thorough going into the birth, pre-birth, pre-pregnancy, I should say, pregnancy, family history, personal history, all the emotional stuff. But also, you know, in in taking a case, really acknowledging not just what we're hearing the client say and maybe that we might have observed or if we have the patient in the room, any kind of clinical examination, but also going into what it feels like to be with that client and what, what else they're saying on those subtle levels. And, you know, with, with nonverbal children, of course, the parent is expecting the child, you know, well, ideally the child will tell us their symptoms, but they can't. And so really working with the parents to unpick what it, what it feels like, because the parents are so, so linked and so connected to their children that if we can find a way, which, you know, we have to get them to tap into what it's like to be the child. And as at the same time, I'm quite sensitive, like I'm tapping into the child and what I'm noticing. So it's kind of this interplay between me and the parent and feeling into what's happening. I mean, some of the kids with pans and pandas, even though they might be verbal, 
they'll never speak to me because they, they won't want to get on a screen or they won't even leave the house sometimes. So, you know, it's, we have to find, finding other ways to work. So I do something called a bit of a sensation process, but it's, it's like a guided meditation. So I just guide the parent to feel into, because I get the parent to close down their eyes and feel into what it's like to be the child and what else and what just anything that comes up really is relevant. You know, in homeopathy, we can often follow a case by, by the words that people say or, you know, but we're also about the emphasis on those words or what emotion shifts. If we see, if we see a parent, you know, their emotion comes, whether they get irritable or whether they cry and get really um, emotional, we know that there's energy in, in those places. And so they're places that will often go anyway in the consult. When, I, when you get the parent to close down their eyes, they to generally stop telling the story that they might tell the, the biomed doctor or anything like that. And they just go in to the feeling. And when we can get those kind of feelings and sensations, we can find remedies that can go a little bit deeper into what's really going on for this child. And I can give an example of that because I just spoke to a client and her child is nine now. And the, this child is displaying symptoms of having pandas. His handwriting has severely declined in the last six months. He has kind of some rages. He's got a lot of anxiety and, and won't sleep at like finding it really difficult to sleep at night. And he had seen another homeopath and, and they'd given the remedies that you would expect to be given. Like there was like, you know, there was very much, yes, I can see why, but they didn't do anything, these remedies. And so when I got the mother to close down her eyes and following kind of intuitively following the, the energy of the case, she, you know, the strong feeling that came is this kid had a Actually, the birth of this child was so traumatic, which, you know, sadly is not uncommon, but this child was, you know, pushed, he was induced. And then of course, I mean, I don't think she was ripe enough, I guess, to really, for that baby to be born. And so she, she reached a certain point of dilation and then she was told to push and then he was stuck. And they ended up using forceps. I can't remember if they used the Von Tuse or not either. But anyway, he was pretty much ripped out, ripped out to the point that his face was bruised, that he had an indent on one side of his head and she, her tailbone was broken and she was torn all over the place. I mean, it's just so, but the thing that came up in this process was I am terrified I'm pulled into the world, like being battered and bruised. And so, you know, addressing that in a child as a primary cause, which you wouldn't, you know, the mother did talk about the birth trauma, but it really came up as a really strong thing. You know, we can get so many symptoms when we take a case, but this was like, I'm traumatized. And so addressing that at the same time as addressing possibly the strep and, you know, perhaps, you know, looking and also constitutional type remedy. And I say that in inverted commas because we all know that it's, you know, generally, you know, we can have remedies that work well for us for a long period of time or that we can come back to, but we, in terms of a constitutional remedy in the way that we're originally taught is that 
that remedy that will work for you forever. Like that doesn't always apply really. In fact, that changes a lot as we go through our lives and, and it might not be needed. So anyway, that's an aside, but so, you know, kind of working with this kid in dealing, this is the, this felt like the most important part of the case to start with. And then working with, and then working with the infection layer, the strep in this case, and we will get to, to more of the trauma or more of the, you know, what it's like for him. But that, that feeling was so strong that it needs to be addressed. Like, you know, this child has already had constitution, had constitutional homeopathic treatment that hadn't done, didn't do anything with indi- with remedies that were actually really well indicated. Like I, I, you know, I might've chosen them myself before I started really kind of opening it up and going a bit deeper with this method of tapping in. So yeah, that's kind of one case example, I guess, but it's, it's the, my approach, I guess, is intuitive and it's going deep and it's really, I mean, I think we all do this as homeopaths, but we don't always acknowledge how much we're um, picking up on all the other levels. So what we pick up when we sit with someone, what we notice just because they don't say it doesn't mean it's not a really important symptom. So we have to kind of be really in tune with all of that, I think. And not always, you know, sometimes there's really healthy people and you just, or they've, you know, they're sick at the moment, but they've been, had a pretty good base and you give them a remedy and they just get better. And, but often with these complex children's cases, it's actually, you know, it's, it actually precedes the, the lifetime of this child and goes back into the parent, you know, and, and their state of health or their trauma and, and perhaps before that too. So, you know, this is one of the other things I think is that's informing the, the, the health state of a lot of these children is what, what they've inherited and how that's been managed in Western medicine. And we talk about myisms and things too, you know, that we inherit and we do. And I think that the, you know, the, the Hanumanian myasms and, and then you've got the Sankaran's myasms that have expanded on that. And I just, I feel like that's such a huge area to address that, that we've got more myasms. Probably we'll have a COVID myasm, I'd say, definitely. It'll be interesting to see in another five or 10 years, like how that, where that sits. And this might just be, you know, a novice question, but in that case, is it not valuable for everyone to get constitutional care and then, or, you know, classical care and, and in that classical care is, is there an understanding that you address it, therefore it does not pass down to the next generation or is it always going to be there and need addressing? Well, that's such a good question, even though you say it's a novice question, because I mean, it's, it's a big question. And I, I think there's, you know, some people want to do all the healing they can in this lifetime and other people are fine if their symptoms go away. And if their symptoms go away, are we, are we really addressing the miasm? Are we really kind of sorting that out for the next generation? Like, no, not all the time we are. I mean, I like to think that we can change patterns, but it, it doesn't require that just that one prescription and symptoms going away. It requires a little bit more, you know, work. And, and that's not for everyone in this lifetime, I think. And that's totally fine. Like, you know, we all come to it at a different point. But, uh, you know, I do think it's possible to, to shift these kind of familial patterns and, and ancestral traumas and, and, and that kind of thing. 
It still does. Even just thinking about your your case, is it, you know, the fact that he had such a traumatic birth, we would, you, your understanding would be that because he's had that trauma, he was therefore more susceptible to getting this strep pandas reaction later in life when he was nine years old? Well, no, actually, the, the there's a bit of a family history um, of some immune issues. So that is, and that's, that's a big thing, actually. That's a massive thing. And, you know, when we see autoimmunity in the, in the family history, it's, and then, then, then we go ahead and, and if we start out a child's life with a lot of medical interventions, we are, we are really messing with the immune system from a very young age, even pre-birth, you know, there's a lot of interventions. And when you've got an immune system that's already a little bit disordered, that in itself is a bit of a recipe of of move, moving to pans and pandas for sure. Your cases that you get, do you usually find that you resolve them 80%, 90%, 100% all the time? Like how is that playing out in your practice? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it's interesting because I'm... I, I'm, I'm in a study group with a, um, a lot of biomedical doctors here in Australia. And, and I remember them saying that that work with complex children, that they, you know, that their kind of success range is 30%. And I was gobsmacked because I feel like if my, my success rate was 30%, I would probably leave and do something else. <laughs> that wouldn't really feel like it was enough to me. So I feel like First of all, with the children, I think there's a lot of success. And, you know, I've kind of put it around 70 to 80%. But, but what is success in the measure of it, you know? So complete resolution of symptoms, like, is totally possible. But it takes, the, you know, there's a whole alignment that needs to happen between me and the client and how far they want to go. Like, if they don't want to do anything, if their child is eating really crap food and we're doing all the remedies but the diet is just terrible and and that's really you know there's only so far we can go so if they want to kind of implement things and I'm not hardline like some of the like some practitioners about that but it's important you know you can't be putting a lot of crap food in and expecting a a level of vitality especially when that level of vitality is already um low so, yeah, I always kind of gauge it on how far we can go. But, you know, sometimes, and I don't want to, you know, because sometimes with these podcasts, you know, we always have these amazing success stories and, you know, it's not always like that. You know, some, there's a lot of work, but there are some times when, when you'll give that first remedy and someone, the parent will write and say, oh my God, I have my child back. And, you know, and then like, just like that, I mean, that's the magic, isn't it, of homeopathy, when all these things kind of align at the right time and then the remedy comes in. Sometimes that's because the parents already done a lot of groundwork and in terms of, you know, they've, they've implemented good, good routines and, and at home and, you know, they're really holding this space for that child. So, yeah, so, so there's a lot, there's kind of a lot of factors, but I think probably, yeah, 70 to 80% is what I, I feel like. I love and that. then the trip. <laughs> yeah. And how long, well, how, how long does that normally take, I guess, for, you know, for a typical case? Yeah. So that really depends too. So, so if it's a really complex, you know, case, like if it's like a nonverbal 
gut issues, you know, kind of that kind of case, then that could be, you know, maybe a bit longer. If it's, oh gosh, it really just depends. But, you know, some, like some families, oh, I've been seeing the child for two years, but they might've been that family that had that straight away first remedy kind of wow response. But they also, that family also recognize we've got work to do here. And I want to, I've seen how great this is, how great can it, how far can we go? You know, so that really depends on the family. So, you know, I've got families that I've worked with for a few years and, you know, we're just constantly fine tuning and that parent just wants to check in and they just want the, the healing journey to continue. Really, we don't need to see each other that much. And, you know, it's really wonderful, I think, when parents with kids start to learn about the remedies themselves and really start to use them for their kids because if their child is having like in the case of pans and pandas if they're having a flare that they'll know what to do or in the case of autism and their child gets sick and can't tell them the symptoms that they know the remedies and they can you know be there to give them to their kids and I think in that way actually the Banerjee protocols are really good for parents right because they can they can just you know tap try tap into that and I mean, it's actually really hard to prescribe for your own kids, I think, sometimes. But for acute things, once you get, once you kind of get the, you know, the gist of, or, or even the scope of what you can do and to feel confident to do that. And, you know, every time a child or a person takes a remedy, their vital force is boosted. Like, and that's what I say to the parents too. Every time, don't, don't worry right or wrong. Sometimes you might not get the right remedy. Often it that nothing happens, but you know, don't kind of give up at that point because every time you give a remedy, you are boosting your child's vital force. And I firmly believe that because I've just seen kids' immune systems just get, you know, better and stronger and more resilient and not, not, you know, falling down that same hole that they would fall, have fallen down before with if every little cold turns into a chest infection kind of thing. And I get, I'm, make sure I say this right. So in the cases, I mean, you work with autistic cases. I mean, is there a complete resolution of those cases ever? Or is it like there is a baseline for autism and you're going to, you know, manage a lot of the kind of stressful symptoms, but the, the child will still be autistic? I'm not super yeah. in that. Yeah. Yeah, that's so yeah, so that really depends. But yes, no, I have seen complete resolution. And but you know, yeah, again that that question mark around complete resolution. But if the child is functioning in the world, if they're able to go to school, if they are able to have relationships and navigate that, if they are, you know, I mean, they might still have a little bit of rigidity, but if they're, fun- I mean, I mean, there's probably so many undiagnosed autistic people out there that function in the world and it doesn't really matter about that diagnosis. So, you know, we, we just kind of look at that as a benchmark. And I guess that is complete resolution, you know, that your child can, can show up at school. I mean, in some cases of autism, you know, like it's more that the parent wants the child. I mean, I have got a case, although he is, he is actually talking now, which is amazing. Before he was, he was, he would, he had echolalia, so he would just repeat and he would sing a lot. It was, it was actually really beautiful because they're, they're an Indian family and he would sing all the devotional songs when he came in. And actually now he's talking, but he's, he, you know, there's a lot of work to do there in terms of 
getting him to a place of full functioning in a normal mainstream school. He, he you know, it, it's, and that family's done a lot of work as well with biomedicine too. But yeah, so I, but they're very happy because he now does talk and he does kind of regulate himself a lot more and he is functioning and he's learning and he, he probably will always need their assistance. But, you know, we keep going and, and we see, I mean, you just never know. He's a really healthy kid and, you know, he's a really, I mean, that was so beautiful last time I saw him for him to say, hello, Sarah, and, and wave at me from, you know, and, you know, even look at me, which had never happened before. So, you know, it's that, it's that kind of spectrum of how far you can go. Cause I don't, I don't, I think in this life, it's not everyone's journey to be totally neuro to come out of that and be totally, totally neurotypical. Like I, you know, and it, of course it's always managing those expectations. Cause a lot of parents go, if their child gets a diagnosis like autism, they just go, right, we're just going to throw everything at this. We're going to fix this child. You know, it, it is possible and it is possible, but it's not always, you know, there's sometimes the life journey that is, you know, this is my child and I'm just loving them as, as they are as well, because we're not all, you know, we don't all need to fit into that same little band of expectation of what we're supposed to be like, you know, I don't think. So, you know, I guess that's a roundabout way of answering that. <laughs> um, but it, I, I think it's really beautiful when you see a parent kind of also come into acceptance that this is what's happened. This is, this is the child that they're born with. And actually that can be so healing. You can see leaps and bounds um, in progress from that, from that kind of heart centered connection from a parent to their child of full acceptance. Well, one, you know, is it, are you guys it? Are y'all the specialists? I, you know, I know I've heard of Angela Lemke and I, you guys through the Eugenia, like, are y'all it? Or does every homeopath able to handle this? Or like a little bit of guidance I, from that? Too? You know, we don't have studied homeopathy. The, the, my lecturers would say, no, you don't specialize. You just take the case, you take the symptoms, you repertorize it and you get the remedy. They re it really was kind of taught to us like that. And, and I, I found that with these really complex cases, that wasn't the case. And in fact, and when you have parents coming to you and they talk about all the other things that they've done and you've got no idea what that is. and you know, even the tests, you know, like I actually, one of my little, little segues was, was understanding all the testing and actually doing testing myself on kids too. So, you know, oat testing or stool testing or, which I became really fascinated, especially with stool testing, with heavy metal testing and mineral status, you know, all of that stuff, which, you know, is kind of really biomedical approach, but I feel like it's important to understand that it's under, it's important to understand what your clients have been through and I actually started to really focus on this area of practice because I would find somebody would come with a different, like I'd get a man with rheumatoid arthritis, which is not what I was used to treating. And I could spend hours researching about rheumatoid arthritis, about the medications that he was on, about the side effects and how they might affect him and all of that kind of stuff. And so, you know, you can't do that for every client. And so the more that we know you know, we work with something in particular, then the more we know what's important in a case, the more we see the patterns of, of what's presenting in this child. And, you know, obviously 
one of the important things um, about homeopathy is understanding the PQRS symptoms, which is the peculiar, queer, rare, and strange. So we, which actually, I have heard other people say peculiar, queer, rare, maybe, or not put the strange on. Anyway, we, that's how I learned it, PQRS. Um, so we're always looking for the really individual aspects, but how do you know what's in, you know, you might think if you hadn't seen a pans or pandas kid, you might think this, the fear at night was a really significant thing and you might repertorize that and find the rubrics and, but actually it's a really common thing in pans and pandas. So do we need to repertorize that? Not really. Do we, you know, understanding how strep shows up in the body and, and seeing the patterns of that in these kids, then we might actually work with the strep by giving the strep nozo, for example, you know, working out, showing how paras different parasites show up in the body, different Lyme infections show up in the body and the behavior, I mean, like including the behavior, because that's really important aspect or the emotional, mental, emotional symptomatology. So yeah, seeing how those things show up and knowing that. So I think it is really important to go to someone who knows about these illnesses. And like for myself, my oldest son, um, who's just about to turn 18, he, he had, I mean, actually I didn't know. And I was taking him to a lot of homeopaths and we were hitting dead ends. And I really knew, I mean, this is when I'd already started studying homeopathy, but I knew there were the answers. I knew homeopathy had the answers, but nobody was really leading me there. So, you know, remedies would work, but then they'd stop. And I just felt like I, you know, understanding and accessing them. And I think this is, you know, perhaps with any condition, like unless, it, unless we kind of understand all, all the aspects of that. So he, he definitely had pandas, but I, he was never treated for that. It wasn't those are these kind of infections and the way they sit in the body weren't weren't really addressed. And, you know, we kind of got so far. But it wasn't until I'd started to go, I, I realized, oh my gosh. And that was actually after I started specializing in it that I went, oh my gosh. And I think this is the reason I was attracted to this area as well, because my son was showing all these peculiar signs and symptoms and you know, I was just like, I know homeopathy can help kids with this. So, you know, and yeah, starting to clear those infections for him that, that really kind of helped him on his way, as well as really getting a bit deeper, getting a bit deeper and understanding what was um, going on for him, which, which I did with Angelica as well, like which she did the sensation process with me so that we could kind of understand a little bit deeper. So yeah, there's been some wonderful remedies that have helped him on his way and ones that you wouldn't have on face value have said that's, that child fits that remedy, you know? And so. Well, so then how do you feel about the Banerjee protocols? Just because, you know, for, for reference, are they dangerous to give? Are they, you know, are they okay in some cases? Do you need to look deeper yeah. and individualize that kind of thing? No, I definitely don't think they're dangerous. And I think that I actually really like them and I haven't studied it. And I, I did have one of my um, colleagues study the protocols and I was fascinated because of, especially they went into a lot of pathophysiology, I think in the course that she studied to understand which remedies to give. And I know that they were tested on lots of people in India and 
No, I think they're a really great go-to. And as I said, you know, you know, every remedy I, I, I believe helps a vital force. So if this makes it accessible to people to be able to give to their kids or their family or even their clients, then I, I think it's really great to do that. It's, it's, it's just not something that I've studied. I haven't, I didn't go, to, <laughs> maybe I will still, you know, and do, cause I know my, my, my colleague did a two year course in the Banerjee protocols and uh, yeah, it, it's, I think it's really great um, for those kind of tools. Absolutely. And then, yeah, so just then from your perspective, if you had someone coming to you said, okay, I tried some homeopathy on my own, it didn't, you know, it did so much and then it stopped. Does that complicate your case taking or can you start from there and, and go forward? Oh, yeah, yeah. No, no, it doesn't complicate it at all. And in fact, it's, it's quite good because they're familiar with remedies and they've tried a few things and we know, okay, what's worked and what hasn't worked. And then, you know, you can go from there. Yeah. Even, yeah. People that have come from other homeopaths, we can, you know, it's like, okay, what's worked, what hasn't worked. I don't want to go over old territory because, you know, we do as a classical homeopath, we do have these systems that we follow and some things that'll really stand out. But if it hasn't worked, well, there's no point giving it again. We have to look at other ways to access, you know, to, to lift the vital force in the case of this this person. So no, I really, I really like, I, I, I guess the work that I do, because I really feel like the Banerjee protocols can really support the physical body and, you know, and go into the emotional stuff a little bit, but not as deep as I would go. So really it's like a hand in hand. They, they doing all of that work whilst going to the deeper stuff, you know, the parent can still be doing all of that. They can still go, oh, we've had a gluten reaction and we might give this and, you know, or we've got this cold and so I'll give this and, or there's this skin eruption and go for this. And I think that's, yeah, I think that's really great to do at the same time, or even, you know, we're working through this with the Banerjee protocols, but we've got this other thing that's not shifting, you know, how can we work on that? And, you know, another thing is that I think like with my children, I will, I do treat them all the time. But for the deeper stuff, you know, you see everything in your own child and then you might read it in a book and go, yes, that's them. But you kind of do need a bit of an objective person to go, yeah, that could be them. And I can see what you're saying, but actually the essence right now is this over here. And so, you know, the deeper work I think is good to hand over to a homeopath, you know, or a practitioner that you like to see. Yeah. Cause as I said, like, I don't. I mean, I see everything with my kids and I'll be like, oh yes, it's that. And I do muscle testing as well. And so, but then it won't be that. And it's just like, oh, okay. It's, it's kind of easier to do that with, I, I find it easier to do that with other people than with my own kids. Although sometimes I'll go, yeah, no, I think that my child needs that and they will. And, you know, and that's beautiful. Do you muscle test all your remedies? So I kind of muscle test. I guess I, I have, I pulled together my left brain knowledge and my right brain intuition. So when I say muscle test, it's more watching when I have sat with a client and usually I'll take a case and I'll write down everything that I've thought or, it, or it's, it's not even just remedies that I've thought, but families or groups or words that are really important or feelings that I've had or observations that I've had about the exchange 
that are really important. And so then what I'll do is I basically run through and see which one resonates. I, I, my history, I have a long history with the meditation practice of noticing shifts in my body when I, with different things over my life, I guess, it experiences and emotional states and, and that kind of thing. And I think that's what I use really. So, you know, somebody might come and it seems like pulsatilla, but it doesn't quite feel right. You know, sometimes you can just go, oh, but it's not quite exactly right, but then what else would I give? And so, you know, it's like expanding out from there and instead of giving pulsatilla, giving ranunculus, you know, because ranunculus actually, that's the one that ticks the box. That's the one that lights me up, so to speak. So, I mean, I guess it's, it's always hard to explain the intuitive process, but it's more like that. It's more, yes, that could work, but it's not an absolute yes for me. So where else, what is going to be a yes? And I generally won't prescribe until I get the yes. I mean, I do do some physical work and I think that's physical work in terms of sometimes I'll do an organ support remedy or a, or a yeast clearing remedy or, you know, a, a bowel nosode to, you know, shift what's going on in the physical level. Sometimes you actually have to do shift a bit on the physical level before you can even really understand the whole case and what's going on. But yeah, so there'll be, so there'll be a bit going on at the same time. And I think actually that's what we connected about originally was that I was talking about working, you know, similar to a veneer approach when there might be a Myers and a constitution, but the word constitution could also be exchanged with the word totality in terms of the totality of what we're seeing right now with this case. And then, a, and then a remedy for the skin or for, you know, the organ support or for, you know, for the yeast or something like that. I hope I answered that question. So it hit me with some of your, you know, great stories that are just going to have people, you know, knocking down your, I can't imagine that you're not already just overrun with clients, but <laughs> some more so we can, we can really just burn the roof down. <laughs> I do have, so one client actually, she is a pans kid. And actually she was one of the ones where the remedy, the first remedy that she had was, okay, now I've got my child back. And she presented... She just had a lot of fear and anxiety. She had a lot of sensory issues and she has, she has a fear of zippers. These certain kind of fears and things can come up in pandas. And actually, you know, I think pandas is something that, that there's not enough awareness about because it can show up in such, a, in such subtle ways in kids. This, this case is from a few years ago, so I have to, I can't remember all the details, but so the hyacinus was the remedy that first shifted her. And she, she really kind of lifted out of that state and the mum was just so happy because the fears died down. And we did go up with hyacinus, a potency or two. I think we might've started at 200 and then gone to 1M and then, no, we didn't go to 10M, we shifted. And then some of the fears came back and... I think she also had some gut issues and we gave calc carb and she, she actually really shifted again. And actually calc carb, you know, in terms of that constitutional thing, she's somebody who actually always does go back to calc carb until recently where we have, I've shifted her onto another mollusk, I think, uh, from memory. So, so she's, you know, she's done really well, but along the way, we've also 
worked on the strep, which she actually had a lot of allergens. And so we've worked through the allergens with indicated remedy, but also clearing things like she did have and using histaminum. Histaminum is a lovely sarcode for helping to support an allergic response or a mast cell uh, activation syndrome kind of response where the allergen, the allergies are just so persistent. And she also had some skin issues, mainly some fungal things behind her ears, which we've, graphitis has been really good for that too. So, you know, it's, it's kind of been like this constitutional prescription and then, you know, kind of putting out the little fires that come up with other things and clearing infections with things like strep. She's currently actually starting Borrelia, which is the Lyme nozode, Borrelia burgdorferi, and to clear because she does get headaches and she also gets these strange pains in her ankles and there can be a bit of joint pain with Lyme disease, as many people might know. But I do truly believe that it's the constitutional prescription that works to really support all the other little prescriptions that are happening. Another case of a little girl who also has pans and she, she started with me, she was seven, six years old. She's still wetting the bed every night. She had a bit of fear. We were still in lockdown in Australia. This was a client from Australia and we were still in lockdown in Australia then. And she was a bit fearful about going back to school. She was also hitting on her brother a bit. And I gave her, oh, she, and she was having some rages and tantrums. She had cuprum metallicum, so copper. Actually, she had carcinosin cum cuprum. So that's carcinosin with copper. And she, the tantrums really slowed down. But one of the beautiful remedies that I really love, which I've just found so good for bed wetting is borax in a 6C and which addresses the yeast actually. And I would say like I used to spend a lot of time repertorizing about bed wetting and, and really, really looking at the constitution. And I spent a lot of time doing that actually <laughs> over the years. And then I started using borax in a 6C to help with yeast. And I noticed that the bedwetting would stop. And so that's been, that is like a key thing. And sometimes if it doesn't, I will look at other yeast remedies or if there's parasites, sometimes parasites can be related to bedwetting issues as well. So, and bedwetting, so, you know, it's quite, it's not uncommon. And so, you know, addressing yeast, addressing parasites through different remedies, the remedies that match the most, the borax 6C or, or something else that like candida albicans that can clear yeast or looking at parasites it can be really good. Anyway, back to this child. So she actually really calmed down on the carcinosin cum cuprum and the bedwetting completely stopped and she stopped kind of laying into her brother, but she went into a real, and this is what can happen with pants and pandas. We can clear that and then something else comes up because there can be multiple layers of infections here. And when I say infections, I don't mean that we always have to clear them with a nosoid, mind you. We can use all of the other remedies that we have at our disposal. So it could be a plant, an animal, a mineral, a nosoid, anything like that. So, but she went into this state of being really fearful and really fearful 
of, you know, the cupboard door being open and where's mum and kind of of, of ghosts uh, a little bit as well and not being able to go to sleep on her own. And I've given her, I can't remember what I gave her first, but in a consult with the mother, the thing that really came through was I'm really scared of all the things that sit in the shadows and I'm trying my best. She's such a delightful little girl because she would show up and she'd be so smiley. But, you know, you know, it was like you could see the look on her face, like this awareness of what sits in the dark cupboard, what's in the shadow. And I gave her mandragora, which is a remedy that is in the Solanaceae family, so with the belladonna and stramonium. And she... Yeah, that completely just shifted her because she had this really strong awareness of the shadow side. Actually, Massimo Mangelavori, who's an Italian homeopath, had written, wrote a book about the Solanaceae and about the kind of different points at which we are aware of the shadow or the people that might need these remedies are aware of the shadow. So that the Mandragora is really aware of the shadow, the really scary stuff but really puts on a smiley face and, you know, it's kind of like, I'm, I know it's there, but I'm not going to look at it. I'm, I'm actually fun kind of thing. Whereas as we move along to Belladonna, you know, they're, they're not compensating as much. They're kind of in it. And Stramonium, Stramonium is way in the shadow. They're like, I can't actually, it's all around me. I'm seeing it. You can see it. I'm not even pretending that I'm pretending that it's not there kind of thing. So yeah, this little girl had, just shifted out of that mandragora, uh, mandragora state and, yeah, happily went on her way. So she's not bedwetting anymore and she wasn't totally fearful and she wasn't, you know, beating up on her brother anymore. And that little girl, we have had to work through strep and we've had to work through, we're currently working through Bartonella, which is another Lyme co-infection. So, you know, there's different layers, but we can really see these things shift. And actually, you know, she's just doing really well you know so these we're we're doing the cleaning up work now so to speak let me think do you want another case yes absolutely if you could i have a case this is a wacky one i guess of t-rex because there is a remedy made from a fossilized t-rex bone i know who would have thought so <laughs> yeah yeah man. yeah well if you think about the reptiles and you know to me T-Rex is like the, the reptile of all reptiles, really. It's like the origin of the reptiles. And this, this little girl, also a, a Pan's child, was having, she would have these rages. But within the rages that she had, she would barricade herself in the room and let nobody in there, which is, which is a little bit unusual because usually they need to go at someone. They need to let someone know how angry. And it wasn't that she wasn't letting someone know how angry she was, but she'd be kind of, she'd barricade herself in the room or in a box and she'd be kind of looking out and, you know, don't get near me. Don't come close to me. If someone did, she would just like, you know, strike out. And I mean, she had things like she would also, as one of her OCD things, would be pulling out her eyelashes and long range of other things. Her sleep was pretty good. But there was a lot of kind of anxieties and fears and rages. And she really sat in, in this complete fight or flight state. 
And we'd actually given some reptile, other snake remedies actually, which had been good for her. I think Crotalis cascavella had been good from memory. And, but the, but when she, but the, it was, it was taking the edge off, but it wasn't doing as much as, as I would have liked. And so when I gave her the T-Rex, she really stopped that behavior. Like she really, really kind of, she stopped the barricading. We actually haven't seen it. So that would have been over a year ago. This is still a client of mine, but we haven't seen that, that kind of rage and that kind of, yeah, that kind of behavior. I think the eyelash pulling also has pretty much stopped as well. Interesting. So yeah. if cases where T-Rex worked, you know, this, this time, those things have resolved. Do you then, you know, say, do you see that as like, okay, a layer has been pulled off. Let's look at this neck layer and we're definitely going to do a different remedy or we're going to keep with that T-Rex for a while to see if it keeps working. How do y'all, how do you look at that? Yeah, no, no. Yeah, that's right. The layer, the layer is gone. If it, it's not presenting like that. And often the thing with hands and pandas cases in particular is that you know, something else might appear, come to the top, I guess. And that's now what we're working with. So that, that little girl, she's currently, she, there's more fear actually, more fear and anxiety that's kind of come to the top. I mean, and that fight, flight, that was fear and anxiety, but with rage, whereas the rage isn't happening now. We're just dealing with, with, with a, another little thing, but she's going really well. I think she had some time of having a really stomachache in the middle of the night and there was another she's actually had quite a few reptile remedies this girl that she's done really well with and these are also in your software well no I guess not I you know some of these no no we never Angelica actually wrote this book it's actually a chart it's a book of charts of remedies and so and she's yeah it's a really good resource but it's written you know, she's kind of put reptiles together. So there's a whole lot of reptile remedies in what they are. And so then you'll see them in, you know, kind of muscle test in a way through the book and, and see what resonates. I mean, I also have a really great reptile book written by Vermeulen. But, you know, you would never find those remedies just by repertorizing. They would never come up, ever. So, you know, they're, they're, that's the limitation with our, with our repertorizing software or even just with, you know, with, with one Materia Medica. And also with, without kind of feeling into the case and really kind of feeling what it's like to be that child or that person when they're in that state. Because really with homeopathy, we're always matching, like you were saying, with the rust tox and the poison ivy and how that, you know, and then we see the person, you know, that that's what we're doing and and you know, just because they don't come up in the, you know, I mean, obviously a lot of the remedies in, you know, classic materia medicas are really well proved and proved had provings done over and over, but there is, you know, like we don't all sit in the scope of those remedies. And even though they can be so wonderful and, and deep acting, sometimes there's some, there's some other things to do, which, you know, I think with the complex kids, there's, and a number of layers to work with. Yeah. And often actually the parents of the complex kids will go, you know what, I actually have had, you know, they'll see the layers of infection in their life and the, and the things that haven't quite learned by, from whatever treatment they've been doing before too, you know? Yeah. So this, this process is for everyone, not just for kids, but it's, you know, just getting, you know, getting right into the essence of the remedy 
and then the essence of the person and matching those together, which is what we do in homeopathy. Nice. And then when you give, just, I know there was someone in our group who was talking about, they were working with a homeopath and then for kind of the neuroatypical, you know, issue and the child was getting worse or it seemed like it was kind of aggravating. So to you, is that, you know, what is a typical healing progress that you see? I mean, is it always better or or is that work? Like, well, I told her, I was like, every time I give my child a constitutional remedy, I always kind of wait for a weekend or wait for like a clear week just to anticipate, you know, things are going to be a little bit hectic. So is that kind of normal? So, I mean, I think you, one, you can, yeah, you give the remedy when you're comfortable. And sometimes I will say to give remedies on the weekend so that they, they can be close to monitoring. But if I see a child who's having lots of aggravations, I think, I mean, I'll look at, okay, what's going on here? I do see children that have mast cell activation syndrome. So that's when the mast cells are dumping histamine into the body. And that could be from a variety of factors, but, you know, it can kind of be chemicals or food or allergens or whatever that's triggering that. But those kids can be hyperreactive. And even with remedies, even even with homeopathic remedies, which are diluted substances, they can be having these reactions. And so addressing the mast cell situation through, I mean, not just with histaminin, but with remedies that, that, you know, that show up to be quite sensitive. I mean, you know, even Ignatia can be quite a mast cell remedy. A lot of the, you know, things like apis and that kind of thing, if it fits the picture, but a lot of the insects that, because apis is a really kind of obvious response, but there can be other ones that, that other insects that are a little bit more subtle in what they do, but they actually help to calm the mast cell response. I did have a, a pandas kid who he'd had other treatment, but he had actually been at the start of his pans, he'd been bitten by heaps of mosquitoes and, and then it triggered. So then he had, and then he had pans. And so he was, he was in this cycle and he'd had a lot of homeopathic remedies, which kind of worked. Phosphorus had been really good for him, but he didn't completely kind of shift until I said, Let's try Culex musca, which is the mosquito. And, and that shifted. And, and that family then went on to do some work on, on the mast cells with a biomedical doctor as well and kind of looked at the histamine-causing foods and that reaction in that boy's body. And, and then, then we we're on the way because that, that had been addressed, you see. And that's one, that's one thing. If a child is really reacting like really super sensitive to a lot of remedies. That's one thing that you can kind of address and look at. And, and yeah. I'll see. And the last, last question. I'm sorry. I know I'm taking yeah. more of you. No, no, it's, that's fine. It's fine. It's all the rage. It's the TRS, like the zeolite, the heavy metal yeah. and stuff, right? Is that how you yeah. play? Do you, do you subscribe to that? Do you need it? Would you say homeopathy can do without it? How do you feel about that? I think homeopathy can do without it. What I've found, because I've done heavy metal testing and clearing heavy metals in people, in children and adults, I, I do actually, I don't mind TRS, but I don't, you don't go and just you like, I know a lot of people are like, oh, the heavy metal thing. It's like when the probiotic thing was a thing, you know, and everyone's taking probiotics. No, you shouldn't do that. <laughs> really, we all have, we, we really need to, it needs to be prescribed according to your symptoms. It's not like a health thing. Oh, and also detoxing all the time isn't, isn't appropriate. And, and 
you know, that it, it's appropriate at times, but it's not appropriate for everyone and all the time. And um, sometimes we need to rebuild sometimes. And there are other ways, obviously, to clear heavy metals. I have um, had a child who had really high uh, copper and she'd done, I think she'd done TRS and those things, but she hadn't cleared the copper. And so I did a copper protocol. Actually, I did a copper chelate with her, which is a copper cuprum, cuprum metallicum in a 12C, 30C, 200C and 1M in the, in the same bottle. And she would, she was sensitive. So she'd take it once a week, but she could have taken, you know, some people can take it twice. Some people could take it three times a week. So I got her to do that. I mean, I addressed some issues with their water supply or they did, you know, but I pointed it out and the, and doing the TRS for a period of time. And then we see you, we're monitoring how, how that's going and how that's bringing, and it did, it brought the copper down finally, but the TRS didn't do that on its own. It was the, the remedy as well, hand in hand, but I don't always prescribe TRS. So to me, it's like, it just really depends. You've got to look at the vital force and you've got to look at what's going on for this person. And, you know, are they ready for this? Are their detoxification pathways open? Um, enough to deal with this, but I, yeah, I, I, I think there's a place for TRS, but I, I do think it's not just for everyone. Yeah. It's always on there. Anytime anyone says, like, oh, go check out the TRS pages and <laughs> some yeah. great stories, but you know, yeah. I, mean, I mean, I took it and I was like, I don't know about this. So I, I got it quickly, but yeah. So no, that's good to know that homeopathy can work. Cause I mean, that's the other thing as well. Like I see the other modalities and I'm like, okay, like can homeopathy do this on its own? I think that's, that's a big question. And again, uh, coming from Joette, she absolutely gives you the confidence that yes, homeopathy can do everything. Like you don't need anything yeah, yeah. other than nutrition, you know, nutrition does play a part yeah, in it. Yeah. 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 Just have confidence yeah. around kind of saying that to people. I was like, no, you don't really don't need much, you know, homeopathy yeah. is a great place to start. Right. So. That's right. And I mean, I, homeopathy can do some amazing things, but sometimes, you know, like for this person at this point in time, they might need they might need tears, they might need chlorella, mm. you know. I mean, I always find, though, that homeopathy is, the, you know, the easiest way to do things, right? You know, you don't, like, especially with kids, you're not, like, trying to get, I've had kids that have come to me from biomedical doctors that have, like, a pay, two pages long list of the supplements that they're taking every day, 6 a.m., at 7 a.m., at 10 a.m., we do this at, you know, it's just like, holy moly that is uh, one it's a full-time job two it's exceptionally expensive and three like I'm not sure that that's the only way to do things in fact I know it's not I know that I don't think I don't think that's always necessary and and you know it's a big toll on the liver to be taking all these things a lot of the time yeah, that's amazing. I am blown away. I'm so excited you gave those numbers because I know, who's it? Is it Liz Lalor? He's like, I've got a 77% success rate on her fertility. I'm just like, oh my gosh, these are numbers are just enormous because I think IVF is like 30%, same, you know, like traditional. Right. Then people are like, let's give gajillions of dollars to try these super harmful, super invasive, super disappointing things. And it's like, just try homeopathy. I know that that 30% thing that when I heard that, I was just like, what? <laughs> That's okay for you guys? Like, <laughs> <right>. wow. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, that's crazy. Well, I'm so excited. You know, thank you again for letting me interview. Let us know how can we, I mean, do you have a limit of how many clients you can take or like, well, we're going to people. Well, so, so, I mean, yes, I do. I guess I do have, everyone's got a limit, right? And I am pretty, pretty busy, but I'm always, you know, happy to, to work with other people or I have a couple of homeopaths who work with me here in Australia, but I also with Angelia Kalenka and Bridget Scotty Bradley, we started Homeopathy Hive, which is homeopathyhive.com. And so we, there's a few of us there and Angelica and I can, we supervise training homeopaths to come in and work with complex children's cases. So yeah, we definitely do a lot of that so that we can see more people. So, which is really great. And I mean, that's quite busy too, but we, in Australia, my website is thefamilyapothecary.com.au. So, you know, if you're interested in, you know, I can, I can certainly help out and yeah. So, so we have, yeah, we have the, there's those two options as well. And then you have your podcast, of course, which is the intuitive homeopathy podcast, which yeah. I think you have success stories from the moms themselves on there, right? You do. Yes. There's some amazing stories on there. They, they, if anyone's interested or has a, has a feeling that their child might have pants or pandas or knows that they do or autism, even an ADHD. I mean, these, these, these diagnoses that we box up they all actually rotate around each other quite a bit yeah we've got some brilliant stories in there of some of some of our clients and some of the mothers who really kind of embraced homeopathy and have had amazing shifts and movements in their kids great and then what was that book that you showed it was book of life is that for the professional or well, no, it's, you, yeah, it's for the lay user. So this, you you can get this through the intuitive homeopathy. So we also have, have a school that we've started called the School of Intuitive Homeopathy and the website is intuitivehomeopathy.com um, and you can get this book through there. So this is the chart book, but also Angelica wrote a book called, called Healing Complex Children with Homeopathy. And you can get this book through there. And this book was actually written for parents. And it's like an expansion of the book of life, which is the book of charts, but it's an expansion on, you know, working, being a parent of these children. So then, so parents often buy this book and they'll go through and, and have a look and go, oh, that's my child. And, you know, either work with their homeopath or, you know, start to, start to work on their children themselves. Because as I said, you know, and so you any remedy that you give your child will be doing, will be boosting their vital force. And sometimes, you know, you might see an aggravation and, you know, you might want hand-holding with a homeopath anyway, but we really, because we are so busy, actually, we want to empower the parents to, to use the remedies at home, you know, get to know, you know, we do have a lot of parents that use the Banerjee protocols to support their kids through, through, you know, all of the things that can't, the physical things that come up and then where's, you know, holding their hands and helping them move through infections or, you know, clearing vaccines or pharmaceuticals or, you know, that kind of stuff as well, just depending on the child. So this book, this book is really, really nice. A lot of parents love this book to, to kind of help them navigate these 
complex things and also to, yeah, start to feel a bit empowered because having a diagnose, one of these kinds of diagnoses is such a shock and, and such a, what the hell do I do now? And, you know, managing for, for a parent to be able to help support their child at home and feel empowered to do that is just the most beautiful thing, I think. And I think, I mean, that's with anything, right? It's even with fevers and, you know, to, to have that option other than, you know, paracetamol and, and those kind of things is just amazing. And we have so many options in homeopathy. It's not just, oh, they've got a sore knee, give them a par- Panadol. They've got a fever, give them Panadol, you know, like Panadol. That's what we call it in Australia, paracetamol or acetaminophen or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And that book, does it talk about, so the, you said muscle testing as well and the remedy, does it talk about potency and frequency as well? How do you guys decide? Yes. Yeah, it does talk about that. In terms of potency and frequency, like we muscle test that as well. Or for me, I mean, I'm not, you know, physically kind of moving my arm muscle testing. I'm just, yeah, resonating and getting a yes or a no. But yeah, I mean, it, it is individual. But, you know, like I was saying, or I don't think I actually said this to you. I think I said it to someone before, but, you know, I know my oldest son resonates with lower potencies. Like that's just what I've learned over the years. And so, you know, you'll start to notice that in your own child, but you might, I mean, I've actually, when I was studying, like one of the things that we kind of learned to be wary of was sulfur in a really high potency. And I stuck to that because I think my lecturers had had, you know, kind of a weight on me, but I had a client where I muscle tested sulfur in a CM and and I said, and the lady, the my, the mother was very like she she'd done a lot of homeopath reading about homeopathy herself, and and she already had we'd had so much success with her child and with herself as well. And and I said, I'm muscle testing sulfur CM, and I'm telling you this, and I'm scared of it, but that's my training, and but I want to tell you that. And she was like, Let's do it. <laughs> I don't know. She and and it was amazing. It sulfur CM was amazing for this child. So, you know, I, I, you know, there's that, that kind of that accessing that, you know, individual, what, what this body is telling me, what the, this person is telling me that they need, you know, like we, what, where they're resonating at. And that child actually from then does really well on really high potencies. So, yeah. So yes, there, it is muscle testing, but I think, and, you know, in a way as a homeopath, we all work with, we don't just work with, you know, the, the, the po- the posology kind of learnings that we've had, we all in some way are, are tuning into the person that we're with or with our child or whoever to decide a potency really. I know that there's the protocols and you do that potency at that time, but, you know, a lot of the time we can go, well, maybe they need slightly higher than that now. Maybe they've had that and they need the next one or, yeah. Yeah. So talk about your school a little bit. Is that that's yeah. like a full, like you go from zero to homeopath or is that a specializing after you are already a homeopath? So we have two courses. We have a course for homeopaths, like a post-grad study group in, you know, kind of learning about intuitive practice and how to in- integrate that into your practice. And then we have a, a yeah, group, a group, a two-year course for parents. And that runs, yeah, so it runs for two years and it goes through all the remedies. But within that, there's a lot of, we, you know, there's a lot of kind of, there's actually a lot in the course that you can, you don't have to do everything, but you can, there's a lot of extra support and 
we have a couple of study groups that we run within it. So smaller groups within the, within the course that, that people can attend and kind of bounce things off and talk to other parents about or talk to other people about. And yeah, so, so there's two kind of pathways, but a lot of actually the consultants in the homeopathy hive that a lot of them did that course and then, and they were parents of children with complex, complex children's cases. So they did this course and they'd done a lot of other kind of homeopathic courses as well, but they did this course and they then decided they wanted to help other people. And that's when we set up the hive. And so Angelica and I were supervising um, those cases and overseeing what's going on there. So, yeah. So I know that I've, I've taken a long time to answer that question, but yeah. <laughs> so we have options for practicing homeopaths and for people who haven't done much at all. Um, amazing. Wow. You have so many irons in the fire. We do. I know. We kind of like a a couple of years ago, Angelica, you know, was like, let's do something. Let's collaborate. And I was like, we should do a podcast and we should do this. And we need to let more people know about this. And, you know, because I, when I started working intuitively, the the complex cases really just, that's when I really saw, oh yes, there's so much more movement here than what I was getting before. There's so much more scope and, and shift and healing, I guess, that's happening than what was happening before. So, you know, I just want a lot of people to have access to that. I really want, you know, parents to have access to, you know, not just to homeopathy, but also to if they've got a really sticky situation with their child or even with themselves and their health journey, then that that there's a lot of people working like this because it goes quite deep and the healing is quite wonderful. Well, I'm so excited and I really hope to be part of that movement and funneling a lot of people your way. So get ready. (laughs) Yes. Check out the intuitive homeopathy website and the courses and things because it's, it's, it's really quite exciting. And so many people, I have a lot of my clients from here who started doing the course this year and, you know, they're just going, wow, you know, this is like, because, you know, I think for me getting into homeopathy, I think I understand the world through homeopathy and this course really kind of brings all that in. It's not just your straight, this remedy does this and this is how you take a case or this is how you find a remedy. This is how you repertorize. This is like understanding the interconnectedness between us and everything around us and how it affects us because it does. And sometimes we're not kind of attuned to how it affects us, but it does. But, you know, all the substances that we have at our disposal in homeopathy is extensive and vast and, and the healing that can happen through all of this, all these possibilities, but, you know, making sense of all of the possibilities as well is, is such a big thing, really. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much too. That was lovely chatting with you and thanks for thanks for having me on. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of Health and Homeopathy. Please support this effort by going to ilovehealthandhomeopathy.com and clicking the support me button or just share these episodes and snippets over on YouTube, TikTok and Instagram. Join the conversation on the Banerjee Protocol user Facebook group. Till next time, may God bless you and bring you peace.